This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So if you've been with us, you know that we're going to go to John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. We have been talking about biblical examples of redemption. We haven't actually gotten there yet, but we are talking about God is a redeeming God. And the goal of all this is so that we know who God is. God is a redeeming redeeming God. That is who He is. And remember, one of the key concepts we've been talking about is that man has been lost to God. And man is lost to God. We say lost when you're out of position, not where man should be. And man is lost through and because of sin. Okay, that, that's where we got off. And sin is anything that is outside of the will of God. Now, I do want to say this, and it's so important because you need to know who God is, and you need to stay there. You don't need to get away from it. Uh, you know, we have service times. You know, we've got times of family life on Sunday morning, then we got Sunday morning service, we got Wednesday night Bible study, you know, we have Friday night, we've got Next Generation, we have other things that go on. And I'm sure that in a lot of people's minds, uh, there could be other things they could do. I'm certain of it, right? I mean, I, I like to be entertained just like the next person. But you know, uh, when it all comes to an end, you have to face God. You will have to. And all of your soap operas, all your reality TV, all your favorite movies, your favorite book, favorite periodicals, whatever, won't serve you any good. And when it's all said and done, they can't redeem you. But we will have to deal with God. And in that time, when that time comes, you're going to look for the redeeming God. And God's going to reveal to you, I'll open up a day. Uh, this is, God is something else. Trust me. And we're going to touch on this. I do believe we're going to touch on this because it's just in my spirit to touch on this eventually. Maybe not right now, but God hasn't changed. And come that day, God won't change. But God will let you know a redeeming God opens up a day for you. Because I recognized you were lost. I sent messages to you to tell you you were lost. That I was on a mission to find you. And when the day was there, you didn't take advantage of the day. And the thing about us, when I say us, I mean mankind in general, we always think we got another day. We always do. Uh, but God knows. You know, time is limited. And, and, and that, on top of that, people like to play on who God is. He's a long-suffering God. So that means he's got to put up with your mess forever? He's not going to. And then people get caught up with, well, if I don't surrender, well then, 
Why are you worried about not surrendering? Just surrender. I'm telling you, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is it. A door has been opened. See, because there is coming a day which is not today. And you won't be able to have this experience. So we were coming out of John chapter 3. Starting at verse number 1, we said, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, this scripture is so rich to me. It is so rich. Just in the verbiage that it uses. You cannot see. And I told you that word see really means to experience. He's, Jesus tells Nicodemus, him being a, a ruler of the Jews, a master of the Jews, a teacher among the Jews. He says, yeah, you see the miracles, but you don't see the kingdom of God. And unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. You'll observe the kingdom of God at work, but you won't see, you won't experience the kingdom of God for yourself. And so what I want you to know is that this born again experience is an experience that they looked into, desired to know in the times of old. That time has now come to us. And that time is not forever. And so this is the time. And Jesus is letting us, letting us know this is the time to be born again. That is how we have an experience with the kingdom of God. And here's the experience with the kingdom of God. I don't know how best to say this, but he has his hands on you. He'll be your keeper. He'll be your protector. He'll be your defender. He'll be your healer. He gives you peace. It is written in his word, if a man's ways please the Lord, if he's all right with God and God is all right with him, even his enemies will have to be at peace with him. They can only go so far. Why? Because God is on my side. That comes with the born again experience. And God is, and I, I, I want you to understand, and this is, when it is written that this is the, you know, we've been talking about Psalm 118. Psalm 118. One eighteen and 24. I keep referencing it, might as well just turn to it. Verse 24, Psalm 118 says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I believe this. This is just me talking, but I believe this. I believe no one is more glad than God for this day. Because we remember what we've been talking about. Man was lost to God. Man is out of position with God. God has a position for man that man is not occupying right now. And God wants his children home. So we ask the question, what does it mean to be born again? Now when I say, what does it mean? There's a definition. It, it literally means to be born from above. But there's more to it than just that. First we said it means God is good. 
And I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's such a simple statement, and some people might get tired of hearing it, but when you've been touched by God, and when you know you weren't any good, but he touched you anyway, then you realize how good God is. And then after being touched, and then doing things that didn't please him, he didn't put you away. Then you realize to be born again means God is good. And the thing about it is, my not goodness doesn't change his goodness. He's not waiting for you to become good. He's good in spite of who you are. And by virtue, we'll touch on it some more, but the thing about it is you have to recognize, and we know ourselves. We know we're not all that. We know we're not really... God's not looking at us saying, oh my goodness, now, now that's hot. That's all. He's not looking at us, you know he's not looking at us thinking that. If anything, you're thinking that he's probably disgusted with what we do, what we say, how we think, how we act. But still, he opens the door. It means God is good. Not only is God good, but it comes with the idea of regeneration. It comes with the idea of washing. And that word gets me excited. Because I'm clean. (laughs) I've been cleaned by the Master. Clean on the inside. It comes with the idea of justified. And I use that word justified because it goes far beyond forgiveness. It means, those of you who know the scriptures, this means the handwriting of ordinances that was against me has been taken away. It means as far as the east is from the west. (laughs) That's how far he has removed my transgression from me. I've been justified. Wow. See, let me tell you this. Again, I'm trying to keep moving, but let me tell you this. Without justification, the veil of the temple is not rent in two. Forgiveness doesn't tear that into justification does. Justification gives you a right to approach him that is holy. It means to be saved. See, again, born again comes with all of this. It comes with the regeneration. It comes with the washing. It comes with the justification. It comes with the salvation. It comes with redemption. And so we've been spending time talking about the concept of redemption. I have presented for you, for the use of this teaching, the definition of redemption is to be restored. Man is out of place. God, through the work of redemption, is restoring man to the place he originally intended man to be. And I believe that in a lot of men, most men, this is where people come to the place where they say they're trying to find themselves. They don't know God is redeeming God and they believe there's more value in them than they've been putting out. Man is testifying himself that I'm out of position. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I don't belong in this place. I belong someplace else. There's more in me 
I'm here to tell you, you're lost, and God is working to restore. And that's what redemption is all about. Redemption in the hand of God is God restoring man to the place he originally intended for man. Now, in John 3, if you're still there, we saw verse 16, where it's written, For God so loved the world. Now, remember, the whole motivation behind us teaching this is the love of God. It is the love of God that makes him the redeeming God that he is. And the idea, the concept here is that God loved the world. And we've talked about it, and we've talked about it, and we've gone over it again and again and again. The world pretty much includes the best of us and the worst of us. And all parts in between. Those that we find hard to love, God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave. And this is going to be the overreaching theme throughout this. I want you to see who does the action and who does the receiving. Stay with me now, because this makes him gooder <laughs> in my eyes. God loved, we didn't. <laughs> God loves. See, there's a subject, there's an action, and there's a recipient. God so loved the world that he gave. There he is again. We have someone doing the action. Someone doing the receiving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved. God gave. So that whoever, you know, whosoever, whoever, but I've done this, whoever, but I said that, whoever, but I've been in this way a long time, whoever, it runs in my family, whoever, it's not the first time, whoever, God loved you. And because he loved you, remember, this, this, is, this is where it gets me with people and their theology about predestination. Here's predestination right here. God determined before you committed your bad act that he was going to love you. That's predestination. God determined before you committed your sin, I'm going to make a door for him. I'm going to make a way back around that whoever this is why I love it I'm telling you I love, all these scriptures just speak to me when your mother and your father forsake you God will take you up God will receive you it is written in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected the throwaways God receives to himself. Where is God? God's redeeming. 
Look for him in redemption. He's there. <laughs> Glory to your name. Uh, people are wondering, no, where's God when it comes to my homework? Look for him in redemption. He may not be in that homework. <sighs> Nobody is there to love me. You know what I mean by love when we talk about love. God's not sending me anybody. Look for him in redemption. That's where he is. <laughs> While you're looking for somebody that should be loved, he's looking for those who are not loved. And this should be sobering to us because some of us think we smell good. Some of us think we look good. Some of us think that we're the prize catch. But God didn't go after that. He went after the despised. The rejected. The forgotten. The worthless. But that's not what God created you for. So by redeeming man, God is restoring man to what he originally intended. Turn over to Psalm 106. We've read this a couple of times now, and I don't care if you've heard it before, listen to it again. Verse 7 says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. <laughs> Again, I just want you to think about this. Who did the wonders? Who gave the mercies? What did they do? Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remember not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. What did they do? They left when he opened the door for them. <laughs> he, with his wonders and his mercies, led them out of the place where they were held against their will. Verse 8, nevertheless, he saved them. There he goes again. God is acting again. God is putting forth the effort again. Nevertheless, he saved them. For his name's sake. That he might make his mighty power to be known. He didn't save them because they were special. He saved them because he's a special God. That's his name. He did it for his name's sake. He rebuked the Red Sea also. Who did it? He did it. He rebuked the Red Sea also. And it was dried up. So... He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. And redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Now the point here, that I, this is all I really want you to get from this. Redemption is necessary when you are in bondage. And you may not want to admit it, but without being born again, you are bound to sin. You cannot help yourself. But God wants to deliver you. 
He wants to. It's his desire to deliver you. But you've got to come to grips with the truth that you're bound to sin. And let me tell you, nobody else was coming to save Israel. And I'm sure they sent somebody to other nations and said, can you help us out? (laughs) Nobody was coming but God. So, as much as you might try other methods to get it right with you, it won't be right with you until you let God redeem you. You can go to all the AA meetings. You can do all the self-help books. You can try all of the counseling. But without redemption, it'll never be right. Amen. See, we, we try to find what we're looking for in things of this earth. Well, if my husband acted right, the wife would say, no, it's not in him. Well, if my wife would act right, the husband would say, no, it's not in her. Well, if I just had somebody I can talk to, no, it's not just somebody on this side that you can talk to. Well, if I had a better job, no, it's not that. This is, this is what gets me about this system. We're always looking for something to improve our lives when it's God and God alone is going to fill that gap. No one else was coming to help them. No one's going to pull them out of the bondage they were in. God alone can do it, and He is willing to. What does born again mean? It means He's good. So I gave you this statement, and we've been staying on this for a couple of weeks now. Redemption is of God. And I told you this means three different things. It means more than this, but I want to concentrate on these. Redemption is of God. That means, number one, redemption is on God's standard and not man's. I said redemption is on God's standard and not man's. You know, don't trust in man. I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, don't trust in man. Man likes boxes. And then he likes to get in this box with a few others. There are like too many in this box. So man is always excluding others. Man says, you're not this enough. Not that enough. You're too much like that. You're too much like this. Man is always chopping down his preferences and leaving people out. And that's not God. See, man's standard becomes more and more exclusive. And this is the part where i got to calm myself down because in church that is just damnable. And, and let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Make, make sure you understand this. There is talk in places about, here's the word, cliques. There are talks about that in local churches about cliques here and cliques there. Let, let me tell you this. Make sure if there are cliques there, know this. It wasn't God. That's all man. Someone has left God's standard and developed their own standard, and that's the only reason we would separate. And know this, okay, know this. If God called you to that place, um, that's the place you need to be. And if you see cliques forming, 
First thing you do is check yourself. And then, if there are there, keep your eyes on him whose standard is the standard that brought you into redemption. Do you hear me? But redemption is on God's standard, not man's. Man is always excluding. Always telling you why you can't be in this, why you can't be in that. God's not excluding. Man's always telling you what you can't do. <laughs> How far you can go. You can be hopeless in man's eyes, but never in God's. I'm so glad it is on God's standard and not man's. What do I mean by redemption is of God? Number two, God alone redeems. <laughs> he alone redeems. Let's look at this again. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. And don't let that slip by you. They're saying, What can we put our hands to? Jesus is saying, You can't put your hands to nothing but believe. This is what is called grace. This is the definition of grace. The absence of man's effort. So remember this. There's an actor who commits the actions for the benefit of others. So Jesus is like, God doesn't need any help. God alone redeems. Again, our part is that we can let somebody know he's a redeemer, but he alone redeems. <laughs> and you know what our works are? Our works are, are bad. <laughs> our works are no good. Our works just keep falling short. And, and let me make sure you understand this about God loving the world. Because, again, people will try to... They just get God wrong, okay? And they believe because God loves, he must love me the way I am. No, he loves you in spite of the way you are. <laughs> and so when we say God loves the world, even the best of us and the worst of us, and I want to say, he's not all right with everything you do. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with your sin. And if you sit up there questioning whether or not it's sin, he's not okay with that. <laughs> Have you ever had a favorite actor, actress? Just someone you like to see. Like how they do what they do. Like they, they're, they're good in their performance and they make you a believe, believer in whatever it is that they're doing. But the way I find it, most actors and actresses have been in some bad movie one time or another. And you'll sit up there and you watch it because you like the actor or the actress, but you can't stand that movie. So that's what God is. God likes the actor 
He doesn't like a production. So God loves you, but he doesn't like what you are starring in. And that's our work. That's what we have to offer. That's what we have to offer to God. Here are our works, God. God's like, you know what? I don't like that production. You know what? I don't need your help. Because <laughs> really, your help gets in the way. So what I mean by redemption is of God, God alone redeems. He doesn't need your help. Your efforts are no good when it comes to God redeeming. That's grace. He does it without me having to put out. That's what he's chosen to do. He's chosen to do it without our effort. That's grace. That's what I mean by God alone redeems. What do I mean by redemption is of God? Number three. The person of redemption is God himself through Jesus Christ. This is where we left off. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What God has done is amazing. Nothing short of amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 18. And all things are of God. See, that's the thing. That's what I've been trying to get you to see as we've gone through this this evening. All things are of God. In other words, He's doing it all. It's all His work. Man, are you hearing this at all, people? Are you understanding this? He does the work. What do we get to do? We get to rest. You see, when we're lost, we're never at rest. But once God puts his hands on you, his loving hands on you, and he says, let me do all the work, and I'm going to let you enter into my rest. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. Now, Now again, who's doing the acting here? Who's putting in the effort here? God himself. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling. Who's doing the reconciling? God is the one putting in the effort of reconciling. Look at this. He is the originator. He is the initiator. He's the one that executes it. He's the one that sees it through. He does it all. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to which the God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Here's the point. We were separated. We separated ourselves by choosing sin rather than choosing God. 
And God didn't wait for us to come to Him. He came to us and we were wrong. Think about that. We were wrong. We were wrong. When we've been done wrong, we're waiting for them to admit they're wrong so that we can be reconciled. But God did not wait. God made the move in spite of our wrongness. You see who wants to be reconciled here? Not us. It is the desire of God to be reconciled. And on top of that, here's the challenge. Somebody's got to pay for your wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the righteous God. He'd be the wrong God. But he's righteous in all his ways. So somehow, way, somebody's got to pay for your wrong while you are reconciled to him. I think we looked at this last time. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 18. Come now. This is God talking to us. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here God is. When we've done him wrong, he comes and he initiates reconciliation. But then I ask the question, well then, well, if we're going to, if it's going to be as white as snow, who's going to be doing the washing? God does the washing. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Who cleans it up? He does it all. same time somebody has got to go in your place and, and, and let me make sure you understand this about God God is not compromising his standard let me say that again God is not compromising his standard let me say that again God does not compromise his standard yeah he loves me yeah he so loved you that he gave his only begotten son because he's not compromising his standard Jesus is the difference. See, God was in Christ. Reconciling the world. God didn't come in anybody else. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. There are many ways to God. No, there's not. There's only one way. 
Because he was in many ways reconciling you to himself. He's in Christ. Look at this in Joshua chapter 5. This is a scripture that I don't think I've ever been able to get to in teaching, but it's a scripture that is constantly in my mind. And it may not minister to you like it ministers to me, but I'll give it to you anyway. To me, it says a lot. You're familiar with Joshua and Jericho. You know, they sing songs. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And we know why the walls came tumbling down. It wasn't Joshua, it was God. So here we are. They had just crossed the Jordan. They're about to go to Jericho and receive what God has given them. And look at this in verse 13. Joshua 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place where I now stand is this holy. And Joshua did so. Now, now let me say this before I get into this. This is not the pre-incarnate Christ. And don't call, ask him, say, I believe it is. No, it's not. Okay? It's, it's not. Okay? This is a representative of God, though. And, and notice the question in verse 13. At the end of verse 13, the question that Joshua gives this representative of God. He says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And what's the answer that the representative of God gives? He says, you don't know your God, do you? I don't play sides. You see, because, you know, here's one thing that always comes up in arguments. He said, she said. And they want you on, he wants you on his side, she wants you on her side. And they both have different, you know, you see those movies, those TV shows where, where, where someone's trying to figure out what's going on and they ask each person and everyone has a totally different story. God's like, hey, I, as far as sides go, there's only one side I care about, that's mine. <laughs> so you want to be careful to make sure if you take sides that you take God's side because that's the only side he's supporting. See, God's not compromising his standard. God is not taking sides. He's not voting for one side versus another. He's not taking your side versus somebody else's side. You better make sure you are on the Lord's side because he's not compromised. He's not coming down from where he resides. So when it comes to reconciliation and we've done wrong, he's not changing his standard. Somebody's got to pay for sin. Oh, now you're understanding why it got, redemption has to be a person. There had to be a, a person in redemption. Because without that person, who would take what you are rightfully due? And God... Uh, even at that, our works are filthy, our works are foul. We couldn't be accepted. 
And God knowing and so desiring to be reconciled, God came himself. Think about that, people. So, who's doing all the work? God initiates. He's the originator of it. He's the proprietor of it. And then, wow, this gets me, that Christ coming from the bosom of the Father would willingly take on what's due you. Listen to this, people. Now, now this is going to get you. This is going to get you. Hold on. Hold on to your seats then. God's love doesn't save you. If his love saved you, redemption wouldn't have to be a person. See, because he loves the world. He loved the world before Christ came. But God understands this. My love alone can't save him. Ephesians chapter 2. God is good, people. God is good. See, every now and then, you know, you've been born again, maybe you've been born again a number of years, 10, 15, 20 years. Never forget, if it had not been for the Lord on your side, if it had not been for him on your side, and what did you do? You just entered into his rest. He did all the work. Laid it out for you. This is why when this day is over, there will be no excuse. Do you understand this? There's a day of judgment coming. There will be no excuse. God is going to say, I laid it out for you. I did all the work. I put in all the effort. All you had to do was believe. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, just means made alive, and you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What is Paul saying here? He's saying we were all lost. (laughs) We were all out of the way. We were all out of position. We were far away from God. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace you are saved. Now now don't skip over verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Not by his great love. But because of his great love. He made a way. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. Not by his great love. Wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. 
He quickened us together with Christ by grace. You're saved. What is that grace? Not my works. He did the works. I simply believe. What do I mean by redemption is of God? It means the person of redemption is God himself through Jesus Christ. People, redemption is the miraculous, merciful, and gracious move of God to place you in right place with him. I'm going to say that again. It is the miraculous. It is the merciful. It is the gracious move of God to place you in right place with him. You're in Ephesians. Look at chapter 1. Verse 19. Again, I say redemption is the miraculous, merciful, gracious move of God to place you in right place with Him. Ephesians 1 and 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. I want to draw your attention to verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? So when we read verse 19 and 20 and 21, it's talking about the exceeding greatness of his power. No, you don't understand that. You're not getting that. It didn't say, go back and look at the ten plagues that he put on Egypt for his exceeding great power. It didn't say, go back and look at how he parted the Red Sea to see how great his power is. You want to see his power? Watch him redeem through Christ. That's the miracle. That's the miraculous. You see, all those others are types. All those others are examples. And the example never measures up to the real thing. Remember, we playing some kind of game, and one of the questions was, uh, if you could pick a superpower, <laughs> what superpower would you pick? Would you be invisible or could you fly? You know, which one would you pick? But I think of this, and I think of, now, if I had all power, stop and think about this, but if you had all power, what would you do with that power? <laughs> now, you don't. So this is just a game we're playing in our minds. But what would you do with all power? 
wow, this is amazing to me. This, this really is. What would you do with all power? Well, God concentrated his power on redeeming you. He could have done who knows what. But he concentrated his power on you. What kind of love is that? What are we to God? How valuable are we to God? How precious are we to God? That he would exert his power, exert his force to redeem us from our lost condition. When we look at ourselves and we examine ourselves, sometimes we see things we don't like. And sometimes it's just hard to imagine that a holy God would look to us and care for us to that extent. Let me tell you, no one does it like God. No one loves like God. No one it really accepts you the way God accepts you. No one can do anything about your condition but God. And even in the face of your condition, He receives you. Takes you to Himself. Now here's the thing about it. Verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? See, we've been running over this word again and again. We saw it in John chapter 6. We heard Jesus say, you want to do the work? Believe on him whom he sent. Believe on the person of redemption. Christ himself. But what does believe mean? Believe is more than just, how do you say, give a mental assent? Say, yeah, 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 I see that. Yeah, I believe this. Like when someone comes to tell you about a movie, they say, you know, I think this movie is a good movie. You ought to see this movie. You know, you say to yourself, you know, I believe because of their word, it's a movie that I ought to go see. It's not that kind of believing. It's on a level far different than that. To believe when it comes to this, and this is the way into the born again experience, to believe is to fully embrace, not with your mind, but with your heart. See, this is the thing which, that you have to fully embrace. You have to fully embrace that He loves you like that. You have to receive that into your heart. You have to be willing to accept that God just loves you. How do I explain this? You know, people do team building games. You know, team building is very interesting. But anyway, they do it. 
And you know, one of those things that I don't know if they still do it or not, but they tell you to fall back in somebody's arms. And you know, eventually you do, maybe. I, I've never done it. But I imagine if I were to be put in that position, I'd be very skeptical. Even if I were to do that. I may have done it just because of peer pressure. At the moment. I just say, forget it. They won't leave me alone until I do it. So let me do it. And let me trust. You know, that's not that kind of belief. I believe somebody's... Whatever. It's not that kind of thing. Or, or, or even when they, they do the example where they take you out someplace, blindfold you, and say, you have to believe the person who's giving you directions. And even when you do that, you know, you, you kind of... They say, take two steps to the right. You're like... Anyway, like, come on now. <laughs> I can see the skepticism in your steps. You have not fully embraced that you can trust what they're telling you. See, but when you fully embrace what God is telling you, He says, take two steps right. You take big steps. He says, go forward. You go forward. And you go forward with confidence. All the skepticism is gone. And from that point forward, when God says go, I go. And from that point forward, when he says go left, I go left. From that point forward, when he says shut up, I shut up. From that point forward, when he says speak, I speak. See, now my life is no longer my own because I fully embrace that my life really is in his hands. That's what it means to believe. And from that point forward, sometimes you have to remind believers of what believing is. Because eventually we get too full of ourselves and think that we know our way. When in all honesty, we have to trust God for every step. See, people don't understand why the Word of God is so precious to believers. Because my peace is there. I don't know what to do if He doesn't tell me. I don't know what to, I don't know what to trust in if He doesn't say trust in it. But there's confidence when I hear him who loves me speak to me about how to order my life. Listen. He, the redeeming God, has opened up a day in this day that whoever wants to can be restored with God. He's exerted his power. He's flexed his muscles to make a way. And he's made it so easy. Someone will ask, well, what do I need to do? Well, the answer is believe. Take God at his word. Believe that he loves you to the extent that he would lay what is rightfully due you on Christ. And that's all. There's really nothing more than that. And I want to let you know, my goodness, this, this, this is why God alone redeems. See, because a lot of people can say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But again, God alone has to bring the kingdom of God to you. 
But when you do believe that, when you embrace it with your heart, it is written, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so, as, when you believe that report, God's arm is extended to you life changes. And I don't know how else to say it. I really don't. But then you know you're right with God and at peace with God. <laughs> and again, it says in another place, with the mouth confession is made to salvation and with the heart man believes unto righteousness. It's all about believing in your heart. It's all, it's all, he's done all the work. He does all of the reconciling. He does all of the paving of the way. He sends of his own self someone to take our sins on him that we might go free. And all he says is all you have to do is believe. Doesn't get simpler than that. So let me tell you, this is the day that the Lord has made. <laughs> and in another place it says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And there's nothing fancy. There are no 15 steps. It's just believe the report of the Lord. Believe that He, in Christ, is reconciling you to Himself. And then move forward from there. People will tell you, oh, this ain't real. But again, if God be for you, who cares what anybody else says? If God has accepted you, it doesn't matter who else rejects you. It really doesn't matter. And it's amazing. After God helps you, then everybody else is like, ah, oh, you're beyond. Everybody else has something to say then. Now, when you're up there rabble-rousing with them, they're enjoying you, but as soon as you want to get your life right, as soon as you want to get in position and move out from the wrong position, it's nothing but the enemy. But if you believe in your heart, trust me, God gives an assurance that in the face of all of that naysaying, you will not be moved. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.